Welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Ruth Browning. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. God bless you everyone. So lovely. We've got a few faces here. I'm so excited. It's good to see you. See all the children. Some of the children is like, Zhoom. thanks musos. So next week everyone, oh, it's going to be great. Everyone come and be blessed and oh, we just love you all. It's been such a strange time, isn't it? I'm glad we're coming to the end of it. So very, very exciting to see you and very excited for next week when we officially open and you can all come. And don't underestimate everyone, the, the, the exciting way that everyone can meet only in church. That's, a, that's really good. That's a breakthrough that they are, the government is saying, you can come to church. You can't do anything else if you're not vaccinated, but you can come to church. And I consider that a breakthrough. We're all praying for those kinds of breakthroughs, and that's really important. So, yeah, how exciting that we can all meet together and bring our friends next week. Praise the Lord. Everyone's looking very beautiful. A few uh, long haircuts. <laughs> Don't you love the cues going out to the to the barber shops. I saw what the first one I went with I was with my mum. I finally visited my mum. Wow. She was she was happy to see us. And um and then we went to St. Ives. And then I'm like, what is that queue of men? It was all men. What is that queue of men winding around? And it was to the barber shop. All the desperate and I looked at them all I thought, yeah, they do all look a bit shaggy. Yeah. <laughs> with sort of weird hacks at the back where the wife had had a go. So praise the Lord. We'll get there. I haven't got there yet, but We'll get there. Hallelujah. I don't, I don't want to start preaching because I just want to stand here and go, isn't this great? Isn't this great? But we need to preach because, you know, you'll get bored of that eventually. <laughs> so, Peter, we have reached the final in the series about Peter and today we are looking at Peter's wisdom. So we last saw Peter in the book of Acts ministering, preaching, doing all sorts of wonderful things. And our final awareness of Peter is basically in the books that he wrote. Now, we are fairly confident that he recited and uh, collaborated with Mark on the Gospel of Mark because Mark wasn't there for some of the events that he describes and Peter was. And they're very detailed. So we know that he probably sat down with Mark and told him what happened with Jesus, so he was involved in that. But we know for also that he wrote these two letters. And he would have written, they, they, you know, they're very clever at working out the times of all these sorts of things. So it was written about AD 63 and 65, both letters. And we don't know exactly how old Peter was because we don't know how old he was when he met Jesus. But he was a married man, so, you know, maybe anywhere between the age of 18 and probably late 20s when he was a disciple. Um, which would make him anywhere between 50 and 60 when he wrote these letters. So according to Eleanor's uh, church definition, that makes him an old man. <laughs> She'll never live that down, but we love it. We love it. Come on, why not? Uh, it's good. It's a good definition, between 50 and 60. Old, but not too old. Um, so, but, but wiser, 
hopefully wiser. Can I just say, if you are a little older, can you make sure that you're wiser? Because we're supposed to be, like, <laughs> that's the idea of getting older. I mean, I don't know what other benefits there are. <laughs> but definitely being wiser is part of them. So please get older and wiser. And if you are a younger person, please listen to the wisdom of older people because it's there. So when we go to 1 Peter, what we see is, let's just, if you've got a Bible with you, open up there. And 1 Peter chapter 1, so Peter begins by addressing the pilgrims, as he put it, in the dispersion, uh, the diaspora. You know, the Jews were spread all around, even at this time, they were already spread around the nations. And some of them were still spread A lot of them were still in Babylon from the original um, exile hundreds of years earlier. There was quite a lot of Jews in Babylon. And Peter addresses the Jews Jews and Gentiles in these areas, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. Now, these were all to the east. And so it's generally uh, accepted that whereas Paul ministered to the west and he went to Rome and he went to, you know, Greece and he spread the gospel eventually through Europe, Peter most likely concentrated his ministry on the eastern part of the Roman Empire over probably the next sort of 16 years, 16, 17 years. And so he would have, there there is some conjecture that he lived in Babylon amongst all the Jews that were there and that was where he was based and he probably travelled to all, a lot of these cities, all of which were in the eastern part of the empire. So where, where is now sort of Turkey and um, Arabia, Saudi Arabia and all that sort of eastern area there, east of Rome anyway. Um, so he would have been tra- travelling around. He was training pastors. He was accompanied by his wife. We know that. And we know that there was great fruit from his labours. Not that he personally tells us this, but actually there's, there's you know, historical reference to Peter um, outside of the word of God. And there's, um, this is from uh, a man called Pliny, who was the governor of that part of the region. And 40 years after his death... Pliny reported that the temples to Jupiter and Mars in this area were deserted. The entire population frequented the assemblies of, and this is a direct quote, except in English, the pestilent Christian heresy. (laughs) Pliny admits the purity and blamelessness of the Christian ideals and their freedom from sins of violence. And there are other early historic witnesses that testify um, that they... The, this whole area had become evangelised and that people were more interested in this pestilent Christian heresy than the other earlier ones. So this is all, would have been all the ministry of Peter and, of course, other disciples. Another early historian wrote, with what a clarity, cheerful readiness, these poor people support and defend their cause. They are firmly persuaded that one day they will in, enjoy eternal life. Therefore, they face death with wonderful courage. That's written by just an ancient historian of the time. And so, you know, it's really exciting to see the impact that that Peter's life has had and that impact that it's already having in history. Even back in those those times, they were recognised. So what I want to do is just look, Peter, he he travelled, he'd ministered, and he obviously decided to write at least these two letters, probably more, but these two, he was, they were inspired by God and they became part of the Holy Word of God. So I just want to do a very brief survey of, of just some of that wisdom which just 
you know, I feel to speak about just four main points that come through in 1 and 2 Peter because this is some of the final things that he's saying to his people before he died and obviously to us. So, of course, he is wonderfully, he talks at the beginning in 1 Peter 1 about our great rejoicing in our salvation, how marvellous it is that Jesus has saved us. And he shares that because of this salvation, 1 Peter 1.15, he says this, so, be ho- so as he who called you is holy, be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, because I am holy. And then in 1 Peter 2.9, he says this, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. So there we have it. We are, you are the, you're the special ones. You're the chosen ones. Forget celebrity. Celebrity is like a very poor, dull, ridiculous copy of the anointed children of God. We are the true celebrities when it comes to heaven. We are the stars. We're the real stars. We need to really, as a group of people, make sure that we are not at all enamoured by celebrity. It's... It's, it's a very worldly and sad copy of the reality. And the reality is that in God's sight, you are the special ones. You are the anointed ones. You are the holy ones. And he has chosen us to be this royal priesthood, if you like. We need to really take that on board. And it's good to, to take that on board because then we can, I think that helps us to be holy If we think of ourselves just like, oh, I'm just sort of scraping into the kingdom of heaven and I'm trying to be a good person, trying, oh, how am I going to be holy like Jesus? I guess it's a little hard. But if we remember how precious and royal we are, it's almost like, oh, yeah, you know, I can do that. My mum used to, she she spoke very positively to me when I was a, a a little girl. She used to tell me how wonderful I was. She says, you are very special. Did you know that? And you are very beautiful. I remember she used to tell me that and I just went, okay. I just thought, well, that's what she says. You know, that's true, I guess. And she used to say, you can do whatever you want to do. I always remember her saying that to me and I just believed it. I thought, all right, okay. So I was pretty confident, little girl, because I was told that I was very special, you know, and I thought I was because my mum told me I was. So um, can I just say that's not a bad way to live. It's not bad. It's a lot better than being told that you're an ugly loser, I guess. (laughs) So, um, of course, I had to find that confidence in Christ because much as I love my mum, it's not quite enough. But take that on board, guys. God is saying that you are chosen. I mean, I, I can't quite figure out the whole predestination thing, but it's true. God looked down from heaven in the in the beginning and he went I'll have Katie and John I might even put those two together and <laughs> yes it's John <laughs> and I will have Harriet and I'll have Caleb and I'm not 
I'm not picking favourites here, okay? <laughs> There's just, just a few faces here. I'm just, God has chosen you. That's really cool. And because he's chosen you, you can be holy. Listen to what he says. He goes, you're awesome. I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have picked you if I thought you were losers. I wouldn't have picked you if I thought there was something wrong with you. I've like chosen the best. So let's believe that. I believed it and I was a little, you know, I don't know, what was I, three, four, five-year-old? I just thought, okay. You should believe it. If God says you are chosen and special and royal, he says you are his own special people. You are special. You really are. You're the people of God. You are the people of God. So please take on board that holiness and I don't want you to take it on as a sort of a, I've got to try, I've got to try harder to be better. I want you to know that you're special and respond from that place of specialness. I don't do that anymore because I'm royalty. Do you know what I mean? Like we've got to have that bit of, little bit of royal attitude. Like I don't, I don't need to get drunk. I don't, I don't do that. I'm, you know, I'm royal. Do you know what I'm saying? So that we, we, we respond to righteousness not from a place of, of have to, but a place of royalty. It's just, that's not my style. We don't, we don't do that. <laughs> do you know? So be holy, he says, because I'm holy. Exactly. Like, I'm a, I, I mean, you know, <laughs> again, growing up, it was like a thing, being a Southwick. <laughs> Chris is going to just be shaking his head at all these references to my childhood. I'm sorry, darling, but this is the way I was raised. It's like, we, we don't do that. The Southwick, the Southwick family doesn't do that, which can be problematic in some areas with the Southwicks, but much as I love you all, um, but, with, um, but it's a good quality in a way. I'm a child of God. I don't, I don't do that. That's not my style. Praise God. So then he says in, one, in 2 Peter 1, 3, 9, he says, because of this, we have everything we need for life and godliness. So that we can be partakers of the divine nature. So he says, so giving all diligence add to your faith, virtue to virtue, knowledge to knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, and so on. All these qualities. And he says, if these are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of God. So let's just remember that, yes, we're holy and we are diligent to work that holiness out, to live that holiness. And that, he says, is the fruitfulness. Now, we've just read that Peter was having a major impact in a huge section of the world. The, 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 the temples of Jupiter were emptying out because of Peter and, his, and you no doubt the others. This is historical reference. Does Peter talk about that? Peter says, well, actually, you know, quite a lot of people, I mean, they don't go there anymore. They're following me. They're in my church. You know, da, 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 da. He's nothing. He doesn't say that. He says... If these qualities are yours, in other words, if you are holy, then you are fruitful. He says, if these are yours, then you're not barren and you're not unfruitful. So that's so encouraging. God is so interested in who we are and that is the fruit he's looking for. He's looking for the qualities of purity and holiness. This is what we're called to do, to be like Jesus. And this I can do. Because when we measure our success and our fruitfulness by any other measure, measurement, we can't do it. 
You know, maybe if we measure it by financial success, you know, I, I can't buy that house in Terrigal. I can't afford it. I can't, I can't have this fancy life or I can't build a billion dollar business or I can't, you know, and we've got to make sure that we don't have the same metrics that the world does. I don't get, I don't even get a thousand likes, let alone a million likes when I, when I post something. You know what I'm saying? There's that temptation, like, how many, how many, oh, okay, more and more people liking it, that's good, they like my post, you know. We don't, it, it doesn't work like that for us. Our goal is to be like Jesus and only God can measure us. So let's make sure that we have the right goal and we do that by humbling ourselves. Look at Peter says, 1 Peter 5, 5, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. So hey, if God wants to give me a house in Terrigal, fine. And he does exalt us. He does give us these blessings. He does do wonderful things for us. But that's him. And we, in the meantime, humble ourselves and just try to be like Jesus. So let me just encourage you. And this is so good when we consider the life of Peter. Proud old boastful Peter, the old Peter. I'll never deny you. You know, don't, don't wash my feet, Jesus. That was the old Peter. And now, 20 years later, just... Humble yourselves, guys, under the hand of God. Let, let him exalt you. You know, this is Apostle Peter now. He's probably got a lot more influence and power now than he did when he was younger. But he's not speaking like that anymore, is he? He's beautiful and humble. In fact, he even tells pastors later on, don't be bossy and domineering, guys. Just serve. <laughs> Just be beautiful, sweet servant pastors. And we all have met those pastors who... Um, who just are beautiful and you want to be like them. I mean, we, I, I just remember um, one time we went down to Melbourne to see Peter McHugh, who's a good friend of ours. And, um, you know, we, we were going to a conference there and we were meeting up with him and have just getting together because he's a nice guy. He came to pick us up at the airport and it, it just really impacted me. I'm like... He goes, yeah, I'll come. And we were like, oh, no, 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 so, you know, we'll, we'll get a car, we'll get an Uber, we'll, whatever. So, no, no, I'll come. And it, it still impacts me. He had a church, he had, I mean, he does have a big church. He's a busy guy. He has conferences. He does all sorts of things. But he hadn't seen us for a while. He must have, you know, I'm sure he doesn't do it all the time. But he just decided to pick us up at the airport, you know, lonely little Chris and Ruth. And I just loved it. It really affected me because I felt loved and I felt special. And he was... That example of humility, I can't remember what he preached that Sunday. It was probably good, I don't know. But, you know, sometimes, and it was just that one time, just that one thing, and it impacted me. I remember it and I still go, oh, gee, that was a blessing. And that's the fruit. That kindness from him has impacted me and I hope that I can do the same. So do you see that that sort of humble, sweet kindness is what we're all about as Christians? And that has the impact on one another. So be holy. That's my first point from Peter. Love one another. Point two. There's a lot in these two books about love. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all things, have fervent love for one another. Intense and unfailing love. Intense love. Can we not be casual? Can we not use love as a kind of a Christian term? Can we make it real? Like, 
I actually love you. I'm actually excited to be with you. Not this sort of like, yeah, you know, it's good to see you. It's lovely to see Martin and Joe, and Joe's, you know, all bubbling over with excitement because she gets to see us again. That's what we, Peter says, have that love. And he talks, you know, again, I won't go into it, but he talks about wives loving and, and husbands loving your wives. He talks about all the different categories of people. It all comes down to love. And let me just, and can I just say with the husband one, he says a very interesting scripture, which I won't read out. But he says, husbands, if you're not loving and understanding your wife, God, it says, your prayers are hindered. I'm just like, whoa. So God's basically saying this, men, if you're not going to love your wives, I don't want to talk to you. You sort it out because I don't want to talk to a man that is not loving the woman that I gave him. How interesting is that? There's a few times in the Bible where God actually says, he's not, I don't want to talk to you. I'm not going to listen. There's a few times. It's worth looking him up and making sure you're not doing it. Because I, as a pastor, I realized, I often say to people, you need to pray, you need to pray, you need to pray. That's one of the things I say. But I realized, oh, I know why some people aren't praying. Because God's not listening to them. So it must be a terrible conversation. So they stop praying. So we sometimes need to take a step back and go, are you not praying because God's not listening to you? You know, when you try to talk to someone, they don't listen to you. It's like, oh, I'm not going to bother. I think some men who are rude to their wives, they try to pray and God's like, I don't want to talk to you. Sort it out. And then they're like, oh, praying's hopeless. It's like, well, it is hopeless because God wants you to deal, you know, to deal with that issue. Just, just saying. That's interesting, isn't it? So this is Peter. He, this is Peter. And again, 1 Peter 3, 8. All of you be of one mind. Have compassion for one another. Love as brothers. So that's that Philadelphia word there, like a, a family love. Be tender-hearted. Love that. Be courteous. Peter's the only one in the New Testament that uses this word. Be polite. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, a blessing. Be polite. Can we just make sure that we're not yelling and screaming at each other? We're not sort of just rude? <laughs> Some Christians, I think, we're getting really bold and confident and rude. But Peter, this is Peter, mind you, who, when someone did the wrong thing to him, pulled out his sword and cut his ear off, <laughs> which is a little on the rude side, if you imagine. <laughs> so this is now Peter saying, no, 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 that's not the way we are as Christians. We have a calm and we are able to stop that, oh, whatever, or the angry word or the slamming of the door, except if it's really needed. But you know what I'm saying? We're not... We, we have control. We're not yelling at people. We are gentle and loving and we show that love. It's real. It's fervent. What does fervent love look like? It's like, I'll do it. I'll, it's serving one another. It's wanting to be together. It's just, I mean, you know when you're loved. You can feel it. You can feel it when people are cool around you and they don't want to talk to you like, hey, you know. <laughs> that shouldn't be the way. There should be a warmth. Like, oh, hi, I love you. Make sure you love everyone. Love everyone. And especially people in this church, because this is the family that God's given you. And even more especially, as, as Peter points out, those in your own family. Love them deeply. So that's point two. Point three, he talks a lot in his next two letters about the truth. He, he's obviously a student of the Word of God. He has read Paul's letters 
and interestingly says some things in Paul's letters are hard to understand. (laughs) I love that. I love it. He says they're hard to understand. And listen to this. Actually, in 2 Peter 3.16, it's worth reading. Which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of scriptures. So interesting. Interesting. Already. This is only... The Bible's still being written and people are already twisting the word of God. So don't be surprised. You know when people sort of say, oh, no, that, that verse doesn't, you read a verse that says love one another. Oh, no, that doesn't mean love one another. That means, and you go, how do you get that out? You know how they twist it? It's like mostly the Bible means what it says. It really does. It's pretty obvious most of the time. If people are twisting it too much, it's like, well, I don't think so. So... Um, And then he talks quite a lot in 2 Peter about false teaching. So this is really interesting because we've seen that he's he's matured into a a loving, humble, gentle man. But he's still Peter. And one thing we know about Peter, he had quite a lot of um, aggression, quite a lot of leadership, quite a lot of... And, you know, God doesn't sort of... he, he, He hasn't lost that. We don't all turn into, hello... How are you? This is the new Ruth. I am perfect Ruth. I am loving Ruth. You know, some people try to copy a nice, beautiful Christian, and that's like, nah. We still have a lot of personality, okay? We still actually have the personality that we were born with. It's just that it gets made holy and beautiful, but it's very colourful and bright. So we're not going to all turn into sort of like step. You know what I'm saying? A Stepford Christians. You know that reference? I don't know if you do, but. So basically, in 2 Peter, Peter is angry. We see angry Peter again, but this is righteous anger. And he is angry. In, we, and I believe we are all called to be angry. And Peter here is angry about the word of God, about the truth. So I've just... I'm just going to go through a few of the things that he says here about people who are distorting the truth, false teachers. They are like brute beasts. That's the equivalent of, you know, they, they're animals, they're dogs. They, they speak evil of things they don't understand. They will perish in their corruptions. They are spots and blemishes. In other words, they're dirty. They are, I'm dirty with them and they're dirty. They're slaves. 2 Peter 2.22, he says, a dog returns to its vomit. It's like, whoa, okay, that's kind of strong. So he's basically saying, yeah, they just, they just, I mean, that's a terrible thing to say, isn't it? Ugh, what a horrible saying. Um, and then he talks about how God gets angry. He says, they forget, 2 Peter 3, 5, he's angry with people who don't believe in creation. They forget that long ago that by God's word, the earth was formed. So already people were, were believing in, I don't know, evolution kind of. They, I don't know what they believed, what, what they called it back then, but they didn't believe God created the earth. And he says, to remember the wrath of God, 2 Peter 2.6, how he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah as an example of what happens to the, to the ungodly. I don't, I don't know that we've ever, th- I've never thought of Sodom. I, did, it, I just read that and went, oh, wow, that's interesting. God destroys cities when he's angry with them. And so there's a real aggression here. There's a real anger. He's using strong words and he's angry. And it's a righteous anger because Peter knew the truth. He had listened to Jesus himself. And now he's got these guys saying, no, that's not, this is, the, this is what's the truth and this is what the truth. And it makes him angry. It's like, no, that is not what Jesus said. 
That is not right. And so he is angry for God's glory. Let me encourage you to be angry, to use your personality and know what you're angry about. If you're never angry, you have a problem because the Bible says be angry. Don't sin, but be angry. And the anger will be based on your character and the anger is for God's glory. I'm not angry because someone's annoyed me. It's not about me. It's about God's glory. And so the area of life where you are called to minister God's life, you should be angry in that area. If you're called to be a great husband and you see a man abusing his wife, that should make you angry. And what can I do about that? And, and do I pray about that? Do I talk to that man? What do I do? It, you know, Peter was angry here with truth being distorted, which also makes me really angry. I hate lies. You know, my husband is called to be a leader and an organiser and a, um, someone who is, you know, moving forward. He, he gets really angry with wasted time and wasted money. It just bugs him. It doesn't bug me as much. And we have to understand that that anger that we have in us is actually based around our gifting because we want to see God, the glory of God. So I, I'm occasionally late, never when I'm with him, but <laughs> when I'm on my own sometimes, that Chris is never late. He hates that because he's called and he, it's, he's called to use God's um, resources well. That's part of his calling. So let me ask you, what's your calling? What, and one of the ways to know that is what makes you angry? Do you get really annoyed when we, the singers are up here just fuffing around and not really worshipping and not being really in God? Because Bethany does. She's just like, want it to be real. I want it to be anointed. She wants it to be good because she's called to worship. Anger is a good thing. Use it well. And be sure, and, and of course, stay in the word of God as um, Peter teaches us also there. He's angry about a lack of truth. That's certainly something we should be angry with him. So he says in 1 Peter 2.2, like newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So final point in uh, 2 Peter in this very quick survey of two books of the Bible, Peter also talks about suffering, suffer well. He was coming to the end of his life and he said 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter, I don't have whether it's 1 or 2, 12 to 13. <laughs> Beloved, do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to testing you, but rejoice to the extent that, that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. Amazing to me that, again, we're being told to rejoice. He says, don't, this isn't strange. Don't think it's strange when your boss is rude and horrible to you. Don't think it's strange when your friends no longer want to be friends with you because you're following Jesus and that does happen. Don't think it's strange for him if you're thrown in prison and that still happens. He's saying it's not strange. They, Jesus said they hated me, they'll hate you. And he says this, this testing is if, if necessary, <laughs> if, if needs be, we will be put through these tests because we're going to be holy, remember? Sometimes we need a little bit of fire to be holy. So he basically teaches us to accept that we may suffer in this life, but not to, be, not to find it strange and to rejoice in it. I just want to read this little um, passage from the heavenly man about a Chinese man who uh, came to the West 
He wrote this in the book called The Heavenly Man. In China, I had been used to to beatings, torture with electric batons and all kinds of humiliation. I guess deep in my heart I presumed that now I was in the West, because he eventually escaped, my days of persecution had ended. But that didn't actually happen like that, and he writes, but I couldn't understand how someone who had never met me could write such a nasty article. Why didn't these people find out the truth? In China, Christians are persecuted with beatings and imprisonment. In the West, Christians are persecuted by the words of other people, both Christian and non-Christian. This new kind of spiritual persecution was no easier than physical persecution, just different. Isn't that interesting? I think in the West, because we don't have physical persecution, we have a great admiration for Christians in parts where they are actually beaten. But he's in the position of saying, you know what, it's different and it hurts. He was really hurt by those words. So we, so don't, you know, don't downplay if you feel hurt when, when not if, but when you are persecuted by nasty words, whether those words are in the newspaper, like poor old Brian Houston or, you know, George Pell or some of these characters that have just been smashed publicly, or whether it's more private words, you know, whether you've got a nasty letter from someone to tell you how, how terrible you are or whatever you might get. We all get different things. Um, but it's, it's good. It's okay. We suffer well. We accept it. It's all part of the fiery trial that, that, that burns off the dross in our character and helps us to be as special as we're meant to be. So praise God. There's so many great things in the Bible there in, the, in what Peter has written to us and we rejoice at that wisdom and obviously we, you know, we read those books and we love them. And we finish now with Peter coming to the end of his life um, in Second Peter, he wrote, I think it is right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus showed me. And he knew Jesus had said to him in John, one day when you're older, old, see, Jesus defines 50 to 60 years old, you will stretch out your hand and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And he was talking about his death. So Peter knew that his death was coming. It's most likely that he was arrested and taken from where he was, possibly Babylon, and to Rome. That's the tradition. But we don't know for sure, but we think that he was killed in Rome. He knew, he didn't mind. He knew that it was coming. He was told that he was going to die. He accepted that his ministry was over. So, you know, when that time comes, it's good to know that we've, we fought the fight. We've done what we were called to do. He wasn't that old, but he'd done what God had called him to do. And he was so looking forward to, as he describes it, his inheritance in heaven. 1 Peter 1.4, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven. And in this we greatly rejoice. He was so looking forward to what was coming. He knew that his inheritance was there, ready for him. No one could take it. So Nero, um, noxious tyrant that he was, had burnt Rome and blamed the Christians. And so he began to kill them. And this is probably around this time that Paul was martyred and most likely Peter.
And Jerome, one of the very early Christian fathers, speaks of his death. And we've got no reason to think that he was wrong. It was shortly after Peter died that he described his death. So even though it's not in the Bible, we can't be 100% sure. He was imprisoned in Rome and then he felt not worthy to die in the same way as his saviour because they said, we're going to crucify you. And Peter refused that. And so he was crucified upside down. And now he's in heaven. Yay, can't wait to meet him. I don't know why I'm crying. I mean, I don't know the guy, but I feel like I have. I've been reading about him constantly for the last little while. It'll be fun to meet him. So... um, so we finish our series on this fisherman, Simon Peter, this impulsive, swearing young man who was rather weak, a little aggressive, sometimes fearful, quite often arrogant, but always repentant and always passionate about Jesus. A young man who became Peter, the rock, the apostle, the miracle worker, the preacher, the divinely inspired writer of the Word of God, a pastor, a husband, a friend. Let's learn from that life and let us be determined that if someone ever looks at our life, which no doubt one day they will when we're in heaven and heaven's books are opened, that our life also, where we may have our failings and our missing and whatever, that we rise up and we finish the work that God has called us to and go on to glory when we put aside this tent, that we go on to glory, well-deserved glory. Hallelujah. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Peter. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we've learned so much for ourselves from this great man. And I pray, Father, that, that we would be inspired to be holy and beautiful and to grow and to put aside our weaknesses and our failings and to live a great life as he did, Father God. Help us. Help us to do that, Lord God. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your goodness. Hallelujah. And I just want to ask you too today, if you have never really given your life to Jesus, then you will not be looking forward to your inheritance in heaven. You cannot say that you are special from God, not quite as special as he wants you to be. You can't know that you can be holy. And you don't know what your life is worth. But you are meant to know all these things. You, you are meant to be that person. You're so meant to be special and chosen and holy and you're meant to be in heaven with all of us. And let me encourage you to accept Jesus into your heart because that's the only way that you can fulfil your destiny. That's the only way that you can have this amazing life. So right now, I encourage you to put your hand on your heart And pray these words. Father in heaven, I must be born again. I ask Jesus into my heart. I repent of the awful sins that I have done. I want to start again 
I want to live life for you. I want to go to heaven. I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.